All right, all right, all right. How's everyone doing? My name is Brock. Thank you so much for tuning in to Back to Your Story, a podcast about real people and real stories. This is story number 29. Today, I had on the amazing Terry Jones. Terry is the founder of Travelocity and Kayak.com. He is a true digital disruptor, author, and venture capitalist. It was a real honor to have Terry on the podcast. Unfortunately, due to some technical issues, the sound is a little off, but I had my team work really hard on making this the best it possibly could be. That being said, without further ado, here's the story of Terry Jones. From the land of mystery, where dreams become reality, always listening to stories from the past, the present, and the future, this is Back to Your Story. Terry, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you so much for asking. My name's Brock. Nice to meet you, Brock. Yeah, You've got as much hair as I don't have. <laughs> I like that. I've been working on it really hard. Oh, man. <laughs> Good way to open it. I, I just want to thank you uh, so much for coming on Back to Your Story. It, uh, it's a real honor to have you on. Well, it's my pleasure. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're loud and clear. Um, just, just, just like I like it. Um, yeah, it's, it's always a, a, a real treat getting to meet people like yourself. I mean, you have uh, changed the, the industry in so many different ways. Um, for people turning in to the podcast uh, right now, why don't you do a brief introduction? Well, my name is Terry Jones. Um, I'm the founder of Travelocity and the founding chairman of Kayak. I was chief information officer at American Airlines. I'm a professional speaker, an author. I have two books. One's called On Innovation. The other one, Disruption Off. That's brand new. The technological disruption coming from your company and what to do about it. Uh, I've served on 17 boards of directors, public and private. Um, Been a consultant. Started my career as a travel agent. So there's a capsule for you. (laughs) There we go. I like I, I like that. Um, when you were younger, uh, was this the industry? I mean, speaking and you know, uh, creating new technologies and disrupting industries. Was this what you wanted to do? Is this no? No, I mean, I didn't know. I was a history major, um, and I thought I was going to Vietnam. Uh, I had a low draft number, and I got rejected. Thank God for my eyes and. Uh, Although the guy said when he tested me that I could shoot a cannon, um, <laughs> since I didn't need good eyes for that, but they did reject me. And uh, my roommate uh, had a free pass from Transworld Airlines. His dad was a pilot. He said, I'm going to use that before I go to grad school. I'm going around the world for a year. So I went with him, another guy. Three of us spent a year going around the world. Unbelievable thing to do. I encourage anyone who's getting out of school to travel. Uh, it opens your mind a lot about what's great about the U.S. and, and what isn't. Um, and, uh, so when I came back, I wanted to get in the travel business and I went to school at night, became a travel agent. Uh, six months after my first job, my boss, my manager said, let's go do a startup. So we, we did a startup and five years later turned into the 50th largest uh, travel agency in the U S and then I jumped into technology. 
<laughs> there we go. There we go. Wow, that is uh, that that is really amazing. One thing that you said in the beginning is that uh, you encourage all uh, kids that are getting out of school to travel, to travel around the world, travel around the U.S. Um, I completely agree with you on that. Uh, you know, getting to go to new places, new things, new people, tiny food, uh, just really getting out of your, your comfort zone and really getting this world experience. Uh, it benefited me a lot throughout my life. Um, when you first got into the, the travel industry, what was it like? Cause it's so different now, especially. For- oh yeah. It was, uh, centuries ago, believe it or not. Um, the first day I, the guy told me the boss make a reservation to these hotels in Moscow. And I said, okay, how do I do that? And he said, you send a telegram. I said, excuse me. And I'd heard of telegrams in like movies, but I didn't know they still existed. And they did. We had a little telegraph machine. It's more like a old time fax machine. Um, it smoked and sort of <laughs> sent this <laughs> message off and, uh, you know, all tickets were written by hand. All reservations were made by phone. Uh, you got a lot of red ink on your hands doing that work. Uh, it was a very different world, but you had to know a lot. You had to know how to price a ticket. You had to understand destinations. There, the, you know, the internet didn't exist. So that was manual. And then uh, I told you I started my own company. And about three years into it, the airlines began to automate travel agents with computers. Um, and also back office computers that began to do ticketing and flight itineraries and things like that. And I got interested in computing and I jumped to the company. It was a startup that sold computers to travel agents. Later, that company was sold to American Airlines and I spent almost 20 years there. Incredible. I mean, that's, that's really, uh, you know, amazing to hear. It just shows that uh, if you put your mind to it, you have a good team, you got to do anything that's possible. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's, uh, that, that is, that is really incredible. Um, so where did you grow up? Where did this, where did the story of Perry start? I grew up in, uh, I was born in LA. I was there for two years. My dad worked for Disney and then uh, he got transferred to Chicago and uh, he was in charge of selling uh, Disney merchandise. So Donald Duck, orange juice, Mickey Mouse watches, that kind of stuff. I was a very popular kid because I had those. Um, I grew up in Chicago and Winnetka up north of the city and uh, then went to college at Denison in Ohio. Uh, but uh, since I've lived in Florida and Texas and uh, now Nevada. Right. Uh, why Nevada? What, what, what was calling you My out brother uh, is a National Geographic photographer, and he had a house here on Lake Tahoe. And I came out to visit him and uh, fell in love with it. I had a second home here and eventually made it permanent. Um, nice. you know, as a speaker and an author, I can kind of live anywhere. I mostly, well, I used to live on airplanes. And yeah. uh, so I'd like to live somewhere beautiful, and I do. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that, that's really cool, you know, and uh, especially being around families, it's so important. Uh, and your brother being a National Geographic photographer, it sounds like uh, your parents, uh, you know, raised you guys pretty pretty well. They were great, and and he got me into speaking because he began speaking for the Geographic years ago with his with his photographs, and he's still speaking and still shooting. Um, and he, you know, I started doing speaking when I was at Travelocity. Um, uh, just for the company, right, to promote the brand. And he said, you should start charging for it. Um, and I did, but American had a rule that you couldn't have two jobs. So I had to give them all the money and that became painful. So I finally said, look, I want to spend the money on the employees. 
uh, I want to put it in fund and spend it on parties and gyms and art and all kinds of stuff. And they let me do that. Uh, and then when I left travel last year, I had a ready-made job. So it's kind okay. of cool. There you go. You, you kind of built it out for yourself. Um, now that you're speaking and writing books, do you, you miss, you know, days of travel off at all? Oh, of course. You know, that was, that was great fun to build that company. And, um, you know, the comradeship was terrific. The early days of the internet were a lot of fun. Um, and then building kayak, I was only the chairman. We had a great CEO and CTO who did it, did all the work, but I, I got to hang around the hoop. Uh, so that was a lot of fun to be the chairman of the board. And, and then, uh, I thought I was done after that. And then I got a call from Ginny Rometty, the chairman of IBM. And she said, can you come teach IBM Watson about travel? And that sounded interesting. And I said, okay, uh, will you pay me anything? She said, no. <laughs> but I went there and, and ended up uh, partnering with a former general manager of Watson, and we started an AI company, uh, IBM Invested. Uh, that lasted about four and a half years, and unfortunately, it uh, didn't make it. You know, And that happens with startups. Um, people say, well, gee, aren't you disappointed? And I say, of course. But you know, I had a $15 million education on what not to do. So um, <laughs> you always learn from failure. And, and I encourage corporations all the time to take risk and fail. You don't have to fail big, um, but you have to experiment and try to move forward. And the problem with big companies is their delivery muscle gets a lot, lot stronger than their discovery muscle. Um, and they stop discovering. They're optimized on delivery and quarterly earnings and all that stuff. And they don't do anything new. And pretty soon, somebody come up, comes up and wipes them out. So that's really what disruption off is about. New technologies, new business models. And then what is an established business you can do to avoid being uh, wiped out by those? And if, and if you're a startup, well, how do you use them like uh, David's slingshot and David and Goliath, you know, to, to go get the big guys? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, one of the key things that you said there was, um, you know, failure, right? It's, uh, a lot of times going through the moment, you know, failure sucks, right? But oh, yeah. uh, in, in hindsight, uh, the things that you learn, the things that you can grow from that moment, um, I, I hear it time and time again from, you know, individuals like yourself, Elon Musk, uh, even Steve Jobs, sure. failures that they've been able to turn and grow and, and it made them who they are today. Why do you think corporations are so scared? Because Disruption is coming one way or another. It's happening. Yeah. But a lot of companies are too scared to make that jump. What I don't is- know if they're scared as much as they're focused on, uh, you know, the leader was a risk taker from every company, from Henry Ford to Watson at IBM to Elon to Steve, right? They're all risk takers. But once the company gets on a roll and you've got to make earnings and the street is after you and you've got activist investors you say, well, it's working great. Why should I take the risk? Um, and today, I think you, you also have to remove what I call the bozone layer. It's not the ozone layer. This is the bozone layer. This is the impenetrable layer of middle management that stops good ideas from coming upward. It's not their fault. They're not rewarded for change. So what leaders have to do is reach down through that layer and say, this is Sally's idea. It was awesome. It turned into a new product. This was Brian's idea. It failed. Brian's getting a promotion. And as soon as people understand that you kill projects, not people, the bozone layer dissolves. And you'll start hearing the best ideas, which always come from the bottom of the company, not from the CEO, generally. Um, 
Now, in America, we had a very smart CEO, and we got a lot of great ideas from him, but still, um, other people have good ideas, too. So you, you've got to create an environment of trust and safety where employees feel safe enough that they can fail and not, not get fired. Uh, you know, they look at it and say, well, gee, if I do a good job, I might get a 2% raise, and if I do a bad job, they'll, they'll fire me, so I'll just keep my head down. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's an ongoing thing in so many industries. Um, but what, what you said is like a lot of the, the good ideas start from the bottom up, right? Uh, there's tons of good ideas, but there are businesses a lot out there, um, that are, are the, that are scared for change, that are scared oh, yeah. to lose money, right? But change I happens. You, I bet yeah. you don't know that 90% of U.S. hearing aids are now made by 3D printer. And that change happened in four years. The companies didn't change or gone. You know, um, you've got to adopt and adapt. I mean, it, what's interesting is uh, in my speaking and consulting practice, I'm always trying to convince people that there is a burning platform. It is time to change, you know, to get them to think about it. Um, we don't have to worry about that today. We have the biggest disruptive event, you know, in, in maybe in our history in terms of the economy uh, and health. So businesses are going to change, no question. You know, so are you going to be the leader in contactless shopping? Are you going to use drones for delivery? Are you going to shut your restaurant and open a ghost kitchen instead, you know, and say, I, I'm, I'm going to change because I can't get enough people in to make money? Are you going to use, you know, uh, drones for delivering packages? What are you going to do with this new technology? Or are you going to flip your business model? You know, the other day I, I read an article about Philips Lighting. They went to Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam and said, we want to sell you light. I said, what? He said, we want to sell you light, not light bulbs. We want a 20-year contract to light the airport. And here's the price. And it was a great price. So now, what did Philips do? They immediately put in longer-lasting bulbs because they're their bulbs. They put in bulbs that use less energy because it's their energy. And when the bulbs burn out, they bring them back to the factory and use the parts over again because it makes sense to do so. They have a much more profitable business selling what's called an outcome than selling a piece of iron. So lots of companies, Honeywell, many others, GE, are now selling outcomes. But that's a new business model. And there are lots of them, like subscriptions. I mean, who thought we'd subscribe to Razors? Well, neither you or I do, but other people don't. Um, Or dinners, right? Um, Or buy a mattress on the web and have it delivered. Or a suitcase, right? Um, that's kind of custom made or, or, you know, deal with a platform company. I mean, those are all new models that people have to look at in this disruptive time. And those of us still stuck at home have time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, uh, the world is definitely rapidly changing constantly, but because of everything that is going on at this current moment, um, a, a lot of companies would definitely have to flip their model um, or just you know, find new ways things. Um, when you started writing this book, what was it? Was it just, what was the reason behind it? Well, I've been speaking about innovation for a very long time. And, uh, you know, I wrote my book on innovation and it's an unusual book, both of them. They're very snackable. They're short form media. They're, they're 75 to 103 page chapters. So it's very fast, very easy to consume. And I flipped to speaking about disruption because that's what everybody was talking about. Now, you know, disruption and innovation are just two sides of the same coin. You only call it a disruption if you didn't do it. 
it was done to you, <laughs> right? So, oh, that damn disruption, you know, so I said, I built this, you know, this thing killed me. So, you know, you can, you can turn the world around. In fact, I initially was going to have two books in one, Disruption and Innovation, because they are two sides of the same coin. Um, so I, I started looking at all the tech that was coming and all the new models and, and seeing how, you know, Uber was attacking taxis and, and Airbnb was attacking hotels and streaming, you know, look, Steve reinvented music with the iPod and then got whacked by streaming, right? So that changed. Um, the world continues to evolve quickly and people need to understand what these technologies are going to do, particularly AI. And after having an AI company, because, you know, it's AI plus IoT and AI plus 3D printing and AI plus robotics that, you know, we end up with learning, com- learning machines and learning companies. And companies who aren't using AI will never catch up. Elon has 10 billion miles of driving learning, right? Going to be hard for somebody else to catch up with that. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have, you know, much better systems uh, than the other guys because the other guys are starting out in kindergarten. Absolutely. Uh, 110%. Um, with, with, with AI, you know, there is this uh, kind of like both sides of the argument. It's like, uh, it's very beneficial. It's going to help grow. It's, it's going to do so many amazing things. But then there becomes a point where it kind of gets too smart. Um, and people are, are scared about it. Elon talks about it all the time. You're yeah. working, you know, you know, hands on with it or closely, especially with Watson. Um, what, what is your thoughts behind it? Well, it's, it, you know, I don't think we're near the singularity yet. Uh, yeah. Most of these systems are, are still in, in grade school. Um, but they're learning very fast. And so, you know, it's always better to plan because, you know, the Red Cross shows up after the disaster, not before. And, and government shows up after the flood or, or whatever else happens. So I, I think it's great. And I've talked to both my senators here in Nevada about AI and, and that they, to the extent they can in the current Congress, ought to be holding hearings and thinking about it and and saying, how are we going to control it? Because we don't want it uh, to get away from us. And of course, the Defense Department is using it. And, you know, we we will have robot soldiers, that's going to happen. So uh, it is scary. Uh, Hopefully, it can be controlled. But look, when the first trains ran in the United Kingdom, there was an article in in the newspaper that said, we are quite concerned if people travel over 35 miles an hour, we are convinced they will die. Um, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous to us, but nobody knew. Yeah. You know, or or there's a there's a mine here near near my house, old old gold mine from the earliest times of electricity, and they have a hydroelectric plant, and then they have the motors that grind the ore, and the the wire in between them is perfectly straight. And the, the guy said maybe apocryphally, but I don't think so. Said they were afraid if the if they had electric wires turn that the electricity would fall out you know it wouldn't go it had to go in a straight line well nobody knew right yeah, yeah so it could be very similar with uh with ai right now we're yeah scared. i think i think we don't know how fast it's going to grow but i think it is always prudent uh to to think about what could happen and and to put some rules around it my former partner uh who was the gm at watson now is running several AI companies, but one is very focused about ethical AI. Um, and he based it in Canada because the U.S. isn't doing anything about it. Uh, Europe and Canada are doing a lot about it. 
that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of bringing it back to the book for sure. Where do you, where do you see some of the biggest areas within the, uh, the climate that we're in right now? We talked, we talked about drones, right? Earlier, um, just like different things. Where is some of the biggest pockets where disruption in technology, um, we're going to see because of what has happened? Well, I think because of COVID, you know, we're, we're, people are looking at business in a new way. I've talked to several people who run huge call center companies. They aren't going to bring people back into a big room. They, they see no reason to, and, and they can't legally now. So they're not going to do that. Working from home is fine for call centers. Um, Gardner Group says that almost 75% of major companies say even with a virus, we're not bringing everybody back. So work from home is going to continue. Uh, that means changes in all over the place. I'm on the board of SonicWall, which is a firewall and internet security company. We had one of our major financial services clients call us and say, we're sending 350,000 workers home. They all have to be online and secure in a week. Um, we did that, right? So the level of security, endpoint security is totally changing because now uh, I, I talked to a major bank in the UK and they said, we didn't think we could run from home, but guess what? We can if, if we're secure. Um, you know, grocery delivery increased 12%. Um, Amazon hired 175,000 people. Instacart, 300,000. E-commerce is up 50%. It's not going back, right? Um, so, you know, telemedicine, which was prohibited, is now okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I have another house down in Southern California, and I call my doctor up here occasionally, and, and I said, well, let me send you some money. She said, no, it's, you can't. It's not allowed. That was last year. Now it is. Yeah. Right? And it's fine for a lot of things. There, there's a new thermometer out that uh, is Bluetooth to your phone. You check your kid's temp. It asks you a few questions, and then it says, boy, this is serious. Let me connect you to a doctor. So it's sort of SEO by thermometer. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. You know, yeah. but that's how thing, and, and digital events, you know, I'm a public speaker. My business evaporated. I right next to me here is, is now a studio with a green screen and lights and all that stuff. I did a digital mm -hmm. digital event today. I've got switchers and all kinds of stuff. And to me, a digital events, more like television. So I've got interviews and polls and all kinds of more interaction than I would have in a ballroom to keep people off their email. Right. Yeah. You've got to reinvent yourself. So uh, contactless shopping, retail is going to change, right? Uh, but but if you think about it, you know, uh, at nine after nine eleven, you know, of course I was running Travelocity. The TSA came into existence. Security was a big hassle. Um, it's still a hassle, but we don't really think about it anymore. No. So you know, there's money to be made in a good way, not an, in an unethical way, around helping people be safe and secure from this virus and other diseases. And uh, so I think smart companies will think about that and change. Think about supply chains. People are saying, I don't want long supply chains to Asia anymore. I might go back to a 19th century idea, which was stockpiling, right? Okay. Um, or I'm going to use 3D printers, you know, instead of getting something from far away. Um, blockchain, which has been kind of flopping around and not really adopted, may be adopted around trust here, maybe trust and travel, or, 
you know, some kind, I, th- I think we'll end up with some type of digital passport because, you know, Americans are kind of blase about it, but other countries aren't going to let us in right now. You know, they're, they're opening, but not for Americans because the pandemic is pretty bad here. Um, and you see that Europe is working on a digital kind of health passport, um, as is, uh, China already has it, right? Uh, temperature checks, you know, remotely when you come into work. Amazon's implemented 125 different health safety protocols to keep their workers safe, and they're investing $4 billion in COVID. Uh, They want to be the first completely safe supply chain, right? So pretty amazing. That's really incredible. I mean, people are just like obviously rethinking the world and having to rethink so many different things. Um, but then you have these businesses where it's, it's very challenging. It's very challenging for, uh, you know, the, the owner, the founder, um, to see that this is an opportunity to really take your company to the next level. What can some of the companies do about it, especially if you have that type of founder who doesn't see it? Well, you know, people ask me that all the time. You know, I've been in this company forever. The boss is a Luddite. Um, You know, it's not happening. Uh, I say, get out, you know, move move along. Get your resume polished up because that company probably won't change. You know, there'll there'll be a nice historical marker there that says, you know, here was the Jones company. They employed many people in this town for many years until they fell flat on their face. You know, <laughs> you don't want that. No, so, no. you know, you need to think about that and, and move. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, a lot of times people can get stuck, but it's, uh, it's just a great point to, you know, put it out there. That if you are feeling stuck and your business or company is not willing to grow, then it's time to get out. Yeah, um, it is. I mean, you have to you have to look at that and decide, am I going to take a risk? You know, are these guys never going to take a risk? Now, the other thing, which is interesting that I've heard, um, is that uh, job applications for large corporations are going up faster than they are at startups right now because people want good health care. They want to work from home. They want safety. And, you know, they don't want a company that's it happens in most recessions because new startups aren't getting funded right now. Um, so people are looking, you know, to jump into a safe job rather than a startup. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. What, what What do you think? Um, just kind of take a sidestep. What do you think the long term ramifications are because of all of this? I mean, uh, uh, the percentage of new or small small businesses are you know collapsing. And a lot of people are hurt. Well, of course, we got some very interesting news on the economy today with the unemployment numbers, which were nowhere near as bad as everybody said. Um, so it's a question, you know, is it is it a is it a, a ski slope recovery or a, or a V or a rocket? Um, it really depends on the American consumer. You know, people have right in the last few months have been saving a lot of money. If America becomes a nation of savers rather than spenders, that's very bad for America. Actually, it's an unfortunate thing to say, but we're a nation of consumers and, you know, we don't make a lot of things anymore. We consume a lot of things. Uh, retail is, is huge here. So uh, we don't want to be Japan where they save all their money and their economy is flat. Uh, Now, China is coming back, not as fast as we thought. And I think this is a very unusual time because the recession is so lumpy. 
Um, you know, if you're in travel, your business is down, was down 98%. Now maybe it's down 70. You know, if you're, I'm on the board of Boingo, we do Wi-Fi in airports and cellular and Wi-Fi in military bases. And, you know, we build the Wi-Fi in the New York subway. Our business is doing fine. You know, and, and, and software businesses are doing fine. Uh, retail businesses are in the tank. So it's very lumpy. Um, and that's very difficult for employees uh, because the retail sector and the food sector employ so many people. Um, that's going to be difficult. I think the food sector will come back. Uh, but, you know, it's a question, can the restaurant hang on until it opens? Now, this country is opening. You know, most states are opening. Uh, wh- where are you, by the way? I'm in Los Angeles. So we're, uh, we were just about to open. And then, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. My daughter's there. So I know. Um, so I, I think it is, you know, unfortunate and very difficult, particularly for small companies. And they have to rethink, you know, what, what am I going to do differently? How am I going to open? What am I going to do? Um, and we'll see some failures as we do in most recessions. Um, but, you know, the, the question is, the numbers are quite interesting. And, and I looked at the CDC yesterday. Um, it, 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 you know, I would ask your listeners not to quote me on these numbers, but <laughs> something like 80, if you go look at the CDC, it's really easy. They show deaths by age. And it's like 80% or, or 90% of the deaths are over 50 and 80% are over 65 yeah. and 70% are over 70. So, you know, we should just lock old people like me up. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. I, I don't understand why no, you know, there must be some good reason why people haven't done that. But to me, it makes all sense in the world, at least now to say, okay, kids can go back to school. Um, we can open things. I'm the chairman of, of a very large boys and girls camp up in Minnesota. Uh, and we, we have 500 kids up there and more kids in Cincinnati. We can't open because we can't get insurance. Our lawyers won't support it. And the government of Minnesota hasn't said anything. So we just, we can't do it. It's too risky, but it probably isn't all that risky. We just don't know yet. So I, I think if, if we get around to that and you look at all the numbers and say, this is a disease that is terrible and it's very deadly for people my age, um, who, you know, who have conditions and I've had cancer and I got to be careful. Right. But um, maybe not so bad for everyone else. And maybe we can open up quickly and that would be a very good thing. Uh, but, but it's, it doesn't matter. It's going to be different. Again, it's like the TSA, you know, yeah, it is. It, people it didn't know. Is. No, people didn't know. And um, in the beginning, we all thought it was going to be, you know, a lot of people were talking about, you know, the Spanish flu. And um, I mean, that was just, that was, that was terrible. Right. Um, right. And we were really scared that something like that was, you know, COVID was going to be like that. Um, but now we're. Well, it could have been. You know, if we had been, right? taken those actions, I think it, it well might have been. Um, For sure. For many, sure. Many, but many the numbers, years. the numbers are, you know, really pointing at, like like you're saying, people that are, that, that are older and, um, you know, that, that take care of themselves as, as well as, as others. But when you look at the younger generation, it's, uh, it's not affecting them anywhere near as much. No, so we, no, we have it's to not. Figure yeah. out a system. And if I look at it up here in Tahoe, which has a lot of retired people, everybody's distancing, everybody's wearing masks. You know, and, yeah. and the only people who aren't are, are young. And they, they yeah. you know, they, and when you're young, you're invulnerable to anything. You know, nothing hurts you. Young. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, your, your your frontal cortex doesn't even fully develop until you're. Like, no. You're what were the most so. famous words of a 16 year old? Watch this. Exactly. Exactly. Oops. So, you know, I I think, uh, 
business will change. And that's why I think learning about disruption is so important. Uh, understanding that technologies are coming, looking at these business models and then say, look, I, you know, I, I've got to take some risks. I've got to experiment. Um, I have to make faster decisions. There is no perpetual motion machine. Um, you know, what got you here won't get you there. I mean, I was in Iceland recently for the Department of State making some speeches and the guys were on a tour and the guys said, go in this cow barn. And I said, I've been a lot of cow barns. I just go in there. He said, no, you want to see it. I went in there. There were no people. The cows came in, they walked down a chute, they got a snack, the robot, you know, took over, milked them, and then said, okay, you're done, rang a bell, and then she walked back out in the field. And no people. And I said, wow, you know, that's good and bad. I was concerned about no people. And they said, we can't get people to do this job. Nobody wants to get up at four in the morning and milk a cow anymore. So it's a good thing, right? Some of those, you know, people say, oh, you know, self-driving trucks are going to put all these people out of business. There are 50,000 long-haul trucker jobs opening in the United States today. I, I was on a trucker show this morning at 5 a.m. Uh, we were yeah. talking about this. And uh, they can't get people to do it. It's, it's a grueling, difficult job. So we're going to have, just like we have in the military, we're going to have people sitting in small trailers driving trucks up and down the Internet remotely. Before there's just nothing, there'll be remote trucks. So. You know, um, drones are are checking out pipelines and, and burning, you know, near here, they they fly over the power lines and burn off brush that's getting the power lines. But that's that's a job. Somebody's flying that drone, right? Um, that's amazing, though, right? Think about Oh, it is. And, and, you know, Internet of Things is exploding. Um, Mac Truck is one of the companies that's using IoT to do predictive maintenance so that they know when the truck is going to fail. They can tell the trucker, you know, hey, you you got to get this fixed at your next stop. And if you do that preventively, you're not going to miss your next load, right? Same thing with jet engines, which allows GE to sell jet engines by the hour. You know, you want 98% uptime? Here's what it costs. You want 99? That's more. But I can I can guarantee that's what you'll get, right? <laughs> that's so um, cool. And, and we all have, you know, you think about all the devices from – Roomba to Nest to Alexa that are in your home. Oh, she was listening over there. She yes, she is. She woke up. Yeah, um, <laughs> she's listening everywhere. Uh, you know, I have, I have, I have Echo in my car, and I have like ten of them in this house, and controls my lights and my security system and yep. cameras and all that stuff. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly how my home is. Uh, yeah, and and you know, when I first got to this house, which is twenty years old, it had a quote state of the art system which is a, you know, a big panel and, and light buttons and maybe some distributed video. And now you can do it all yourself. It's incredible. And, and it's, uh, you know, relatively affordable, you know, it'll it is affordable and it will get more affordable and it will get smarter. Um, and, you know, one of the things I talk about is, is voice shopping. Um, it's kind of interesting, you know, Google's an ad company, but if you ask your echo recommend toilet paper, it will recommend one brand. Now, if you look on Google or Amazon, you'll see 20 brands. Yeah. So, and nobody wants to hear 20 brands. So what's it going to cost to be the one brand, right? You think search is expensive. These guys are the new gatekeepers. And uh, voice shopping is going to be real interesting. Could turn Google from an ad company into a transaction company over time. Uh, That's perhaps. incredible. Yeah. So perhaps, I, perhaps. I think voice, voice with AI is, is fascinating. It doesn't work so well for travel because uh, you want to see. But yeah. Um, it, maybe it eventually, 
maybe eventually as they add screens to them, we did some experiments in my AI company. People love, you know, to be able to go to a travel site and say, I want to go to an island with golf, a spa for my wife and things for my kids to do in November. I've got about $3,000 or whatever the number is, or $1,000. You can't do that. No, you know, that no. takes you hours. But our AI system could do that. Uh, it just didn't sell. Unfortunately, travel is not adopting AI. But in the tests, it worked like crazy because today's travel system to me is like a slot machine. You go to Expedia, pull the lever, look, now I didn't get a good price. I go to Priceline, pull the lever, and then I go to Travelocity, pull the lever. Yeah. And, then, okay. you know, it's ridiculous. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. That's how it had to be in 1996. It doesn't have to be that way now. Uh, and that was that was so revolutionary back then. I mean, it was just- well, it was. And, you know, that and the, and the elimination of commissions put 18,000 travel agents out of business. But people don't understand that even – 20 years before that, those 18,000 travel agents didn't exist. It wasn't until the government deregulated airfares that you needed a central place to find out what the price was. Because 20 years before, everybody charged the same price. Flying United, American Delta, every price was the same. It was regulated. No way. And where the airlines flew was regulated. So if you wanted to go to Kansas City, you had to fly TWA. They were the only guys that went there. You know, New York, LA had two, three carriers, but it was all regulated. And, and it was funny. I was on, on Fox News and Cavuto says, well, I want it to go back the old way. You know, here they're going to charge for overhead bins and this is ridiculous. And we used to get steak and fine wines. And now it's just like a cattle car. I want it to change. And I said, well, easy, just re-regulate. And he got, oh, regulation is bad. I said, look, when the airlines were regulated at that time, the only thing they could compete on was service. So they did. Now. They're deregulated. They compete on price. And people are saying, I'd rather pay less than have a stake on an airplane. doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they've got a wonderfully affordable airline system here in the United States. Yeah, but that's crazy. I did not know that it was uh, the, the regulation that, that changed everything for the, for the airline. Oh, yeah, it changed it totally. And that's why the airlines put computers in the travel agents, because people started calling the agent to say, well, is American cheaper than Delta and you know, do they have more frequent flights? And nobody knew, right? So, so we needed a neutral computer system, and all the airlines put those systems in, and that became the Saber system, which became overnight a billion-dollar business for American, uh, and and some of the other airlines. Uh, eventually, became a multi-billion-dollar company it is today. Um, still running, still automating travel agents. Um, there's you know a central back end that that runs Expedia and Travelocity and all those companies. So it's, you, uh, go ahead. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with the airline industry, especially with everything going on right now? Is there going to be, you know, big changes? I mean, I know people are wearing masks on planes, but. Well, yeah, it's, well, certainly there's going to be a change in the airport. You, you know, uh, I, I was on a show the other day and said something that, that was kind of controversial uh, on Investors Business Daily. They said, well, what do you think the airlines and, and hotels should be doing right now? I said they should do something they haven't done in 20 years. They should advertise on reg- network and cable TV. They should advertise in print, and they should advertise on radio to tell people what they're doing about safety because they're doing wonderful things. I mean, they got a drink cart that goes down the aisle that with UV light and spray after every flight on, on many of these airlines. Oh, wow. They're cleaning like crazy. They're all wearing masks. Uh, they have HEPA filters in the airplanes that really clean the air. Um, they've got touchless kiosks 
They've got, you know, boarding that's safe. But only 12% of Americans think it's safe to fly an airplane and 15% think it's safe to go to a hotel. They need to be convinced. And all that information about the airlines, all the great things they're doing, they're on their website. Well, nobody's going to their website because they aren't going anywhere. So, you know, it's just sitting there. So it's a a self-fulfilling prophecy unless they come out to explain it. After 9-11, when I was running Travelocity, I realized that security had, had quadrupled. And it was Thanksgiving. Nobody knew how long the lines were going to be in the airport. So I put people in 17 airports with stopwatches. And you may remember a stopwatch. That was before. I do. I do. I do. And and, uh, they timed the lines and they called in and we had a moving graph on the homepage. And I got called by CNN who said, would you come on every hour and do like a weather report for, you know, the whole country? on the lines. And I did. Wow. It was great for travel loss, great PR, but it was, you know, that's what has to happen today. People have to yeah. tell the story of what's it like and can mm-hmm. I do this? And American announced, you know, they're, they're increasing. I think they're going to fly 40% of their schedule in July. United is not doing as well because they don't, you know, they're sort of coastally oriented and not as cent- hub, central okay. hub like Dallas and Chicago. So, um, but it's coming back and, and, you know, Marriott is doing things like in some hotels you can go and they'll leave the room empty for 72 hours and seal it with a seal on the door. So you break the seal when you come, the room's been empty for 72 hours. It's been deep cleaned before. When you're there, they won't bring sheets or towels. They won't come in the room and, and uh, then you leave and they clean it again. Well, and I, and I read an article on NPR that said safe things to do this summer medium to low risk, stay at a hotel, high risk, get a haircut, right? Um, so, yeah, because you're in intimate contact, you know, when you get a yeah, haircut. Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, I went to my yeah. barber and I opened the door and he didn't have a mask on. He's supposed to, but he didn't. I walked out. I'm not doing that. So, you know, the travel industry is going to have to change, uh, no question. The restaurant industry will change at least for a while. Um you know, retail is is really having trouble. I mean, I talked to somebody who worked for one of the biggest retailers, and he said, what do we do? Follow a woman around with a spray gun? She's going to pick up a sweater and pick up a blouse, and then we have to spray it or recycle it? You know, it's it's very – what do we do about returns? You know, are we going to not allow them? And, and some aren't. And, you know, so everybody's thinking through this as we learn. You know, uh, CDC now says, well, surfaces aren't as bad as we thought. So maybe services can be dealt with. Um, You know, there's a lot of some information and lots of disinformation about it. But but again, I think it's a great opportunity for people to think about how can I change my business in a positive way uh, and tell customers that they're safe here because, you know, they're, they're a large number of young people who will go out and do things and a large number of older people are saying, I'm not going to take the risk. We found uh, when I worked at Sabre, one of our products was uh, flight insurance. And that was a bigger thing back then because, unfortunately, more planes had incidents. But we found it was the same people who bought that insurance over and over because, because they, you know, they were glass half empty people. They thought the plane yeah. was going to crash. Um, there are a lot of those people in the world. And or there are a lot of people like me, you know, who can't take the risk. I've had cancer. I can't I can't take the risk. Um I have to be convinced 
to come back yeah. and, and yeah. you know, I don't need to go to a restaurant. I, I go to the, I went to the grocery store today and went to the hardware store today, you know, but there's I'm no not going to go to a place where I'm going to hang out yet. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. But if this is the prime time for disruption. This is, I mean, it, there this, ever this was a time. It. You know, uh, my a good friend of mine in uh, Chevy Chase, Maryland called his grocery store and said, do you deliver? And they said, yes, we'll send a drone. And they sent a drone that looked like a radio flyer wagon that drove down the sidewalk in Chevy Chase uh, to his house. And this guy bought 20 of them. Um, now, they've been deployed before on college campuses, delivering okay. pizza. And college kids, of course, push them over and paint them and do stupid things like college kids do. But but the, they were prohibited before in Chevy Chase. Yes, they were. And, and, you know, these are the kind of things that allow regulators to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, because of public health, I'm going to do a positive thing, not just a negative thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to allow telemedicine to happen. Uh, in, in North Dakota, Walmart is delivering by drone. That was prohibited before. Uh, a friend of mine runs a drone company, started in Rwanda, delivering blood uh, and, you know, urgent blood. And now they're doing COVID stuff. They're flying 300 flights a day, but now he's gotten permission to fly in North Carolina. Um, and deliver blood and, and tests between hospitals. So it is a good time uh, to look at these technologies and then say, okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to test. I'm going to take a risk. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose the Luddites, you know, the glass half empty yeah. people. I don't need them anymore. They're the ones that are going to go because I'm going to change this company, um, you know, and, and realize that you have this, period of time in which startups are pulling back and they're not going to attack you as hard as they were. So become one, you know, adopt their method, you know, use the cloud, use crowdsourcing, use social media, use all the tools of a startup uh, rather than have them used against you. Yes. Use these technologies, use all of this. Um, You know, as we start to wrap this up, right. uh, I know we have limited time. Um, is there an audio book of, of uh, Disruption Off? There's an audio book of Disruption Off and On Innovation. Uh, I narrate them both because I'm in Yes, narrator. yes, yes, uh, yes. Good, good for of, you. I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, it was hard. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I actually did most of it in a hotel. My wife was having hip surgery, so I was down in San Francisco for a week. And, uh, okay. and as long as nobody was knocking on the door, it was pretty good. Um, awesome. And I love audio books. I, I consume them all the time. And, and I used to do it in the car. I haven't done it so much lately, um, but I, I think it's a great way. And I, I, and I like to listen to business books in the car because many business books, frankly, put me to sleep. And if I read them at home, I'll fall asleep. So I read them in the car yeah. where I tend to stay awake. Um, and, you know, on innovation is really about the lessons of, of Travelocity. And of course, most people don't know that Travelocity grew up inside American Airlines. It's about entrepreneurship. And then it was spun out. So it's about how I had to move out of the building to change the culture, you know, move out of the corporate building, lose our suits, you know, um, how, how, how I had to hire people from the outside because I wanted people who thought differently. And that was a huge battle, right? How I finally got the company to say, okay, you don't have to use every corporate service, right? You can go outside because like advertising, they didn't know anything about consumers. You know, I I didn't advertise to consumers. So uh, there's a good story there for anybody in a big company 
you, you really have to take new ideas in a large company and put them in the greenhouse to protect them like a rose in the spring, right? Otherwise, they'll be surrounded by white cells and killed. So you have to protect new ideas. Uh, we did that and we were successful. And that's one of the reasons that the book and my speaking has been successful. People want to hear that. Really not the story so much as the lessons of, of how they might do it in, in large projects because committees don't work. You know, if 70% of startups fail and they're funded by the smartest investors in the world, what makes you think your part-time committee is going to build anything? Come on. You know, <laughs> so it's just not, so not going to happen the same way. So um, you need to think like a startup. La- last year I was out uh, when Ken Chenault was still chairman of American Express and I got to have dinner with Ken in Silicon Valley with a whole bunch of startups. And he, w- he goes out there, used to, twice a year. Um, you know, they call it the Silicon Valley petting zoo and you go out and and meet companies and, you know, you either buy them or buy their products or be inspired by them, or at least know what might come and bite you in the ankle. Right. Yeah. Uh, you got to go look and and learn and maybe they give those guys a try. Cause he said, look, you know, our name American express comes because we were, we used to be an express railroad freight company. That's how they started, American Dude. Express. Ah, and now, of course, you only know them as a financial services company. Yeah. He said, I don't know what we're going to be in 2050, but it probably won't be what we are now. We have a lot of money, a lot of smart people. We should evolve. And yeah. he's right. Uh, and, and you know, very smart executives do that. And, and you know, like Jobs, who, mm-hmm. who looked at the business and said, we should go into phones and, you know, right. we should go into music and made made that work and others have done that um whereas you know the story of nokia and you know the, the, one of the most interesting things today that, that i've been learning about recently is is a concept which i hadn't heard before called experience disruption and it's about disrupting the experience surrounding the product so apple didn't build the mp3 player but if you had one before the ipod they were awful yeah, you couldn't get music in them. You couldn't get music out of them. It was hard to use them. They revolutionized the experience. They did the same thing with the phone. Uber revolutionized the experience of a taxi, right? It They didn't change the car. You know, they, they changed how you buy it, how you pay for it, and the quality of the driver you get, right? Airbnb yeah. changed the business. Home rental had been around forever. They changed the experience. So, the, and, and, you know, Casper changed it on mattresses and, and uh, Warby Parker changed it on glasses. So if, if it's, it, that's another way to think about disruption. What's a real pain in the ass about the way products in my industry are sold, right? What is it that people don't like? Um, they, they got this at Best Buy. They listened to how people bought cameras and they taught their sales force a woman would come in and buy a camera and the guy would say, well, this is a 500 megapixel camera with a yeah. 15 to 28 zoom. And, you know, it has triple inverse bit size chips and the lady is like, will it fit in my purse? <laughs> That's what she wanted to know. Will it fit in my purse? Can I get the pictures easily of my kids? Right. The guy came in, he wanted to know about the triple inverted bit slice chip. Right. So you have to sell in a way that people want to buy. And today the way people want to buy is easily. 
You know, is your company easy to deal with? There's a slogan in Silicon Valley, step one, install software. There is no step two. That's how easy Uber is. That's it. Press the button, a guy comes. You know, I press the button, I can listen to music. MP3s aren't as good as LPs. No question. But they're here right now and they're easy and they're cheap. So it's good enough for me. Right. Press a button. I get food delivered to my house. That's pretty cool. Right, um, it is all of these, all of these, all of these technologies that have just emerged in the past decade. It made everyone's life. Well, and and you know, this isn't the only change. My my good friend, I have a book behind me called "From Gutenberg to Google" by Tom Wheeler, who is this the uh, former commissioner of the FCC, and I'm going to interview him on Monday. Um, cool. He has another book called "Mr. Lincoln's T-Mail," which is about how Lincoln made use of the telegraph to fight the Civil War. And how revolutionary that overnight communication was. Because before that, it was the speed of a horse to get a letter across the country. And now suddenly it was the speed of light, right? We went in that decade from light of a candle to electricity, from the speed of a sailing ship to the speed of a steamship, from a stagecoach to a railroad. I mean, unbelievable change in communication, uh, you know, from 1850 to 1900. Um, now we've done it again, right? It, the telephone took 75 years to reach 100 million users. Pokemon Go took 15 days. <laughs> <laughs> that's because of connectivity, right? It is um, so true. And, and so that's that's another thing that's speeding innovation is that we're so connected. My son worked for Electronic Arts as a as a game designer in Sony. And he quit, and with three guys, they, they created a big video game. How do four guys fight against a $200 million company? Yeah. They used the cloud. They crowdsourced, right? They brought in other people to help. They worked out of their apartments at low cost. I mean, you could do all these things. Yeah. You don't have to have the overhead you used to have. Most startups today are started on credit cards in the cloud, right? It's so easy today because the tools are here that weren't there before. It's just everything is at your disposal. And yeah. Yeah. So take the risk, you know, particularly if you're young, go travel, go around the world to learn stuff. And, yeah. you know, and if you can't travel, the Peace Corps will take you, the army will take you, you know, um, you can become a, your church will take you. There are all kinds yeah. of ways to do it. Do so it. Many opportunities. And go learn because, because the, the world is getting real small and, and interconnected. So learn about the world and then come back and say, what can I do? And of course, so many kids today want to do something not only fun and interesting with technology, but socially responsible. And that's wonderful. So, you know, um, Tom of Tom's Shoes is a friend and, you know, that's been a wonderful ride for him and his company. And, you know, you look at, at, at all these people who are using technology to say, I'm going to solve the problem of, of toilets around the world or, or clean water. Um, yep clean air or work on climate or work on, you know, the problems today of race um, that we're all facing. And, and, you know, that's wonderful. And we need, you know, Peter Thiel said, you know, under Kennedy, we went to the moon and today the smartest people in the world are optimizing pictures of cats. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And he's, and he's kind of right. So some of the stuff we're doing isn't really creating value. Other things are creating terrific value. So what do you want to do? You want to work on pictures of cats or you want to change the world? 
change the world, man. Yeah, the world. I mean, I can't say I did with travel, but uh, we help people a lot. Get and I think travel is a, is a good thing for the world. Uh, yeah. It's positive when people get out and about and learn about other countries and cultures. Uh, makes you appreciate ours and theirs. It does. It really, really does. Um, where can people get the book? Where can they get the Books audio on book? Uh, yeah. That's the easiest way to get it. It's in Kindle format. It's in paperback and it's in Audible. Um, yeah. So both books on innovation and disruption off. Um, quick, easy reads. Uh, and people actually finish this, these books. Uh, so it's, it's a business part. book. I think you'll enjoy it. It's, it's, you know, lots of stories and quotations, even some cartoons. Um, so it's, it's an easy read, but uh, hopefully you'll walk away saying, hey, I, I really learned about teams or about culture, or I learned something about cloud or, you know, how to take risks or how to make people feel safe so that my company can move forward and either be the disruptor or hopefully not be disrupted. Yes, man. Man. Terry, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on. You are an amazing human being. You have this presence about yourself. Very knowledgeable, obviously. You've done a lot of amazing things, and you're just not stopping. And um, Well, I don't want to stop. No reason to stop. I'm still having fun. You know, up at five for my first radio show today, and uh, here we are at five again. So it's been a lot of fun, and I enjoy it. I'd love to come back sometime. Uh, I love for the poster sure. there behind you. Thank um, you. Shepherd Perry, Obey. Yeah, uh, great stuff. And uh, you know, also, where can people listen to like your interview and your all all of that up? Well, tbjones.com. Um, it's T is in Tom, B is in boy, jones.com. It's very hard to get a Jones URL. Um, yeah. The uh, There's lots of videos of my speeches um, and my interviews and blogs are there on the website. Uh, so it's all there at tbjones.com. You can learn more if you want to listen or watch. Uh, and of course, I am a speaker available to come and and motivate yeah. your team, even virtually. So love to do that. And and finally, I, I hope you you never have my hair because you have uh, terrific hair today. I have none. Thank you. As as the video, we'll see. Oh, man, Terry, thank you so much. Thank you. All thank right, you thanks a lot. Back. You have a great right. weekend. You too. Have a good one. All right. Good night. Bye bye. Wowzers, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I want to thank Terry for coming on to share his amazing story. If you like the podcast, don't forget to like it, review it, subscribe to it. And remember, new stories premiere every single week. Follow us on Instagram as well. Back to your story. And if you want to hear more stories just like this one, go to our website, backtoyourstory.com. Have a good night, people. Smooches.